Hey everyone, before we get into this episode of the Shock Absorber, we just wanted to let you know that this episode contains uh, discussions related to sensitive topics such as sexual assault and also um, topic things around sexuality. If you are listening or watching the Shock Absorber with a young person, please use your own discretion. If any of these issues discussed uh, raise concerns for you, uh, please reach out to Lifeline on 131114 or a support service near you. I think it's really important that we keep Jesus at the centre of our conversations and rather than uh, politicising our theology, we should actually be asking what does the Bible teach us about these issues and then how do we actually discuss that together in the church to have conversations around Hello everyone and welcome to the third space studio here at Soul Revival Kiriwee and we are back here again with the Shock Absorber season two, oh no episode two sorry of season four and I'm joined by my usual co-host Stu and Tim, how are you guys? Hello well. Joel. Feeling good? Yes, feeling very Enjoying, good. Enjoying uh, being in a different space, we're not in front of the combi van anymore. Yes, it's good to have the combi back. I can still see it in the church though. Yes, <laughs> we'll be driving it. that out today if it starts. I'm not sure if it does yet. I'll have to let everyone know next week. <laughs> That'll be good. So it's if been it does, sitting here for a while. <laughs> if it doesn't start, it has to stay here for the rest of time. Maybe. Of course, that's dangerous. And how do you feel about that, Tim? Should Look, we, I think it makes a great feature piece in or, the church. Or we so could strip it down for great. parts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that could be the other thing that we do. It's prime seating right now, so um, yeah. when the uh, yeah, church comes back face to face. Basically in front of where the uh, band would play music and also where we would be doing sermons when we return to normal gatherings. So we might need to move it. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah we'll tow it out at least. <laughs> um, guys, in this season, episode two of season four, and this, in this season we've been talking about how we're ministering in the world that we live in, um, especially looking at the world uh, around the 2010s and 2020s. And we've, uh, we're going to use musical artists as a way of analysing what's going on through the culture and who have, and those guys that have defined that era. Um, but we've also mentioned that we're talking about um, Ian Hussey, who is a sociologist who analyses Australian culture and identifies... Um, basically we live in a consumeristic society but um, and how as Christians we should embrace and critique those different things um, so the the artist that we have chosen today <laughs> which is a little bit funny because um, her name is Taylor Swift a very popular artist but we should also issue a disclaimer that none of us actually listen to Taylor Swift is that correct Sue you've I have heard some of the songs and I do appreciate some of the songs, but I wouldn't call myself a fan. So, yeah, so we're not speaking with a great deal of authority today, but we are... On her music, anyway. Yeah, on her music, yeah. We, but we are wanting to, to uh, yeah, just recognise that she is one of the influential artists in the 2010s that have influenced our culture and also reflect to us aspects of our culture. So I think she's a really great artist to talk about today. Yes, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. As we've started this season, it's the same with David Bowie was like, I don't listen to much David Bowie, but now I've looked into it a lot more. I'm like, oh, this makes a lot more sense mm. now why we chose David Bowie. And I think Taylor Swift is the same, Tim. Um, now, the, we were going to talk about the couple of, uh, three, th- three main things that we think that Taylor um, embodies in her music and also how she interacts with culture. So there's the myth of egalitarianism, the place of consumerism and wealth in our society, and anti-institutionalism. And then we're going to look at what the church's response is to that and how does the shock absorber work out the aspects of the culture that we should engage and embrace or critique, um, and especially listening to the voices of young people at that time as well and who can inform us better about those different things. So one of the things that we always like to do in the shock absorber is to pick a cultural artifact. Now that we've, because we've chosen Taylor Swift as the musical artist, we're going to uh, look at culture through uh, we chose uh, a Taylor Swift song, <laughs> which is Look What We Made Me Do, which I believe is from her sixth album called Reputation. And that was a, a number one single in the UK, Australia, Ireland, New Zealand and the US. So quite a popular song, Tim. Do you want to break it down for us? <laughs> I don't know if I'll do justice to Taylor by breaking down the actual song, but it does uh, illustrate some of the interesting things we want to talk about culturally um, about the this moment, the, this 22 20- um, tens moment and how um, Taylor has helped influence this, how she's spoken to us, and it was also a reflection of culture. Um, one of the interesting things about this album is that was um, uh, another 
marked change from um, her earlier album, 1989, which was quite um, poppy mm -hmm. um, and light. Uh, that itself was a big change from her country career. So she's been going through these changes. And we talked last week about how David Bowie had these big movements over decades. Um, Taylor's kind of reduced that right down. She's doing different changes um, over different times, um, which relate and also express different parts of her life. Um, and so a number of things that uh, the themes that we could sort of weave through this uh, song and, and the way that and the culture that is um, coming out of it. Uh, so we, we've got that uh, egalitarian idea that uh, she's in, in this song and a number of others on the album, she's responding to her critics um, and the fact that she's being. Um, has been victimised and um, online and had a lot of critique. Um, a lot of scrutiny. A lot of scrutiny mm. put against her, um, uh, which you know, happens to public figures. Right? They're either in the public eye, they get criticised. Uh, so she's trying to break that down a little bit. Uh, and so she talks about that. There's ideas, there's actually biblical motifs, this idea of uh, coming back from the dead, rising back up. Um, and so that she had a lot of particular moments that had happened to her in the public eye and different um, things in the, the news cycle that she was a part of. And so the song is uh, coming out and saying, you know, here I am trying to respond to these ideas. I'm trying to um, put myself back on it and have her own identity. So there's that individualism as well, but also I'm in control of my narrative. So trying to recapture who she is um, during this kind of season. Um, it's a lot darker than her old album um, or the, the previous album. And so uh, that kind of reflects where she was at as well and the, the media that surrounded her. Um, and so there's some of the things that uh, are coming through in this particular moment. Um, she talks about uh, not trusting people. Um, it's, it's always interesting with um, Taylor's storytelling from what I can gather that um, she is sort of putting on personas as well as telling stories from different um, points of view and different points of reference, uh, which makes it easy. But she almost puts on a caricature of herself um, in a number of these places and so is noticing, like, well, if I, if I was everything you said that I would be, this is kind of what it might look like. Which is how the um, video clip of the that song actually ends, I think. is it? There's a, a whole lot of versions of different critics, but it's she's different versions of herself at the same time. So they're criticising her as the different versions of herself. That's and right, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's a really great businesswoman. She really understands... Uh, pop culture she understands the pop music industry um, and as we'll talk about throughout the podcast she's had different ways in which she's related to that um, both um, I suppose using Hussey's category she's embraced it and critiqued it at the same time um, so she's really excellent in that space um, and she's really great in terms of uh, making music videos that are complex and have really deep themes um, and her song writing and storytelling is a really big part of um, who she is and who she is in, in the public sphere and in the and pop culture. What she's culture. experiencing. And what she's like experiencing, that. yeah, bringing her own experiences in there, mm. um, which again is part of that in, uh, egalitarian motif is that she puts herself out there as, as an equal um, and she identifies and also allows people to identify with her that when we might have these moments of critique, um, when people pull us apart, um, have a go at us in different spaces, uh, that we can identify with her because she's experiencing this and she's mm. putting it out there for um, consumption and mm. for our ability to engage with her in that way. That particular song, it's a fascinating insight into what she is, how, the kind of person she is as an artist as well because if you think back to her background, she started as a country artist and I, I was listening to quite an interesting podcast um, by, uh, it's actually a, a sports and pop culture website called The Ringer. And they were saying that the, one of the reasons that she moved into the country space was because she wanted to be a songwriter. She wanted to be the, the person who carried a guitar around and just wrote all her songs. But that was within an era where the grunge era was ending. There was that kind of garage rock revival in the early 2000s. Um, and it was almost like music was either computer made or preppy and, like, uh, preppy and cute like Britney Spears and NSYNC. Um, and and then but then there was garage rock and like she didn't really fit into those either either of those categories. So then, uh, quite a few artists apparently moved into country because they could still be that songwriter person that they wanted to be. But it's fascinating that how so many like she takes so many different things. She it, she's not the, the same level as Bowie at the moment. I would say in terms of longevity, 
But it's interesting that she's doing the same thing. You talk about Tim, she would talk about she took over some different personas already and she's playing them out in a different way through the music business so she understands how to put that out mm. through the music business just what last week we talked about david Berg was the same thing um and also i think she's very relatable you talked talked about that as well but then also how she kind of she almost hacks culture so um it's almost uh, leveraging the idea of the internet and social media now as you, i remember you said before we recorded tim that she was very prominent on myspace one of the things? Yeah, so that was something I picked up um, while doing a little bit of research during the week was that she was a very early adopter um, of my... Sorry, I don't know if she was early adopter in MySpace's history. In her history as an artist, she jumped onto MySpace mm. quite quickly. Which um, Justin Bieber was the same, actually. That's where right. he was discovered on MySpace. Mm. Yes, and, and I think what's that, that has done, and, and she's tried to keep this up through her career, is that it has put her um, in direct contact with her fans. And so this, again, is part of that egalitarian nature that she is putting forward, um, is that she's really relatable and that she um, talks with her fans directly. And so MySpace was an early social media platform in which she was able to do that. Um, and she's been able to take that onto different platforms. Um, and what this has done in terms of her um, cultural presence is that her fans feel very close to her, particularly the young women who are a large part of her audience really do identify strongly with her and she will respond to them. She will uh, answer their tweets or talk back to them. She will hang out with them um, at shows. Uh, you tell me earlier, Joel, that um, there's been a couple of times when someone's tweeted her and said, oh, would you like to sing at my wedding? And unannounced, she's just kind of turned up yeah. at a wedding and, and done a song. Yeah. Which really knows how to leverage, like someone's, everyone's going to have their, their mobile phones out showing, look, Taylor Swift is singing. Like yeah, the absolutely. way that she understands how to leverage that is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is great. And yeah. I think so in a similar way to David Bowie last week, She's both responding really well to the culture around her, but because she's right on the cusp, she is also creating culture. And I think that was something really interesting about David Bowie, that he was, able, he was doing both of those things, trying to respond and trying to uh, create new art that reflected his current cultural moment. But he was also creating the cultural moment by being right there on the forefront of change. Mm. I think that's really true. And it, it's almost like... Um as we said, she's Bowie of a modern age because if she's under, like we talked about culture, youth culture changing every five years, Stu, last week, that that seems to be what's happening um, in a sense of what she's doing. Like she very much identified with the hipster aesthetic when this, and, and there's no greater um, promoting tool than Tumblr and Instagram of the hipster aesthetic. And she really got into that and saw another jump in her popularity because she managed to. She, she didn't really grab onto the coattails, but she was riding that wave of cultural change where it's like, oh, now we need to put out a... Uh, we're, as individuals, we're now putting out our persona on Instagram. It's not just our musical artists. It's um, every single individual has the opportunity to put out a particular persona that we can consume. Um, that's a couple of things that Ian Hussey picks up on is uh, individualism, consumerism, um, egalitarianism. Can you... Um, speak to us of how Hussey's kind of dealing with those things and how we can relate that back to what Taylor's doing? Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, I, th I think for those of you who are not familiar with some of these bigger words and these big terms like egalitarianism, I, mm. I could give just like a really brief little that's overview of what egalitarianism is to, to highlight um, how Taylor Swift is able to embrace this ethos quite well. Uh, Ian Hussey has... Uh, reflected on Australian culture particularly, but he uses a tool that can be used on any culture. And we can see that using Ian Hussey's tool uh, for analysing culture, we can see why Taylor Swift is so popular in Australia as well, because he's been trying to work out certain themes that Australians abide. He doesn't want to um, paint everybody with the same brush and stereotype people, but he also is looking for categories to help us to understand our culture. And it's helpful for us as Christians because what Hussey says is that as we look at our culture, we can remember that the biblical writers will embrace and critique culture. So then we can look at different aspects of Australian culture and ask the question, what do the Bible writers say about that particular part of culture? And in Australia, there's this uh, myth, we call it a myth of egalitarianism. And to understand egalitarianism is to understand the way many Australians... Uh, see power structures but not only in Australia as we've been saying Taylor is an American so there's this egalitarian uh, idea spreading across western cultures so what is egalitarianism it's basically the opposite of a hierarchical power structure so hierarchical power structures are 
defined as uh, as vertical power like relationships, top, top down, top down, mm-hmm. top down relationships. Egalitarian power relationships are described as horizontal mm. or, or um, everybody being equal. So many Australians would have heard of the tall poppy syndrome, for example. Yes, tall, tall poppy syndrome is is a very egalitarian idea. The idea is that everyone should be the same. Uh, some uh, political scientists and sociologists have tried to understand this egalitarian ethos in Australia for many uh, decades, and and some of them have pointed back to our um, convict heritage, that it might have been that in the convict era there was a distrust of institutions, there was this idea that nobody should be better than anybody else. Uh, whether that's right or not, I'm not sure, but there's this... There's, this egalitarianism is called a myth in Australia because even though we have this view that everyone should be even, our culture is not like that. There are people who are more successful than others. There are rich and poor. But just to break down the idea a bit more, just to give us a really clear idea of it, hierarchical structures have these characteristics. Basically, there's a belief that power should be distributed hierarchically. and In other words, someone's in charge and everybody has to follow that leadership. There's a belief in ascribed or inherited power with ultimate authority residing in institutions. So in hierarchical power structures, uh, power institutions is where uh, people take their authority. There's an emphasis on organising vertically, um, so you know where you are in the pecking order in a hierarchical system. There's a preference for autocratic or centralised decision-making. So you know, big companies or organisations or, dare I say, uh, denominations have head offices and institutions that make uh, authoritative decisions that then is spread out to the rest. Um, There's an emphasis on who is in charge. People are wanting to know who's in charge in a hierarchical system. And there's a respect for authority and a reluctance to question authority in a hierarchical system. So it's good to understand that, to understand egalitarianism, because egalitarianism is pretty much the opposite of each of those things. So to break that down briefly, uh, egalitarianism is a belief that power should be distributed relatively equally, belief in shared or elected power with ultimate authority residing in the people, emphasis on organising horizontally, preference for participatory or decentralised decision-making, which, again, you know, you guys were talking about social media. That's a terrific example of egalitarianism where there's this decentralised decision-making. Mm-hmm. Emphasize, uh, sorry, an emphasis on who is best qualified rather than who is just inherited power. And there's a suspicion of authority and a willingness to question authority, which is where we're going to come to with Taylor as she's going to question authority of big companies like Apple. Um, She's going to be questioning the authority of MEM, which uh, puts her at the forefront of the feminist movement in the 2010s. And she's also uh, an advocate for LGBTI uh, plus community uh, issues as well. So that willingness to question the established authority structures. And so what Ian Hussey says is uh, important for Christians to understand as we engage with egalitarianism today is that uh, a couple of things to remember is that, as we said earlier, that the Bible critiques and embraces certain aspects of our culture. And with regard to that horizontal relationships, the equality, speaking up for the powerless, Uh, We've got to remember that Jesus was very radical in his ideas and he transformed his world, that he treated women, children, the sick, Gentiles, uh, people who were demonised by the power structures of the day. He treated them uh, with a great deal of um, difference. He he raised them up rather Mm. than uh, suppressed them. And where Christianity spread uh, in the early days of the Christian church, uh, there wasn't a distinction between rich and poor, uh, slave or free. Um, there was an equality in the body of Christ that was really unusual in the Roman world. And so, you know, we can look back and critique that these days with the lens of our, our culture. But Jesus did actually um, bring a great deal of equality to relationships. And that was very significantly different to the Roman Empire of the time. And even the uh, the Jewish religious authorities, who Jesus quite often critiqued and questions called called the pharisees snakes for example so there's like you can just um hear taylor talking about you know the misuse of power in her songs and you you can remember that yeah jesus talked about the misuse of power from the religious authorities for example but the other thing that's interesting is that while god might uh, affirm some aspects of our egalitarian culture in other words treating everybody um as made in the image of god that we're all precious in the sight of god um there's also uh, elements of the Bible that 
you know, what would God's attitude to the tall poppy syndrome be, for example, like that uh, might be something we could talk about later. Or um, what would what would um, the Bible writers say about Australians' overall rejection of legitimate authority? Uh, because there's also uh, writings in Romans, for example, where Paul says we need to respect the authority. So it might be really interesting if we can engage with that later. But in the context of Taylor Swift, I think it's uh, fascinating to see this egalitarianism coming through, this anti-authoritarianism. And yes, she's a really um, uh, successful businesswoman, but she's also uh, got these uh, political categories that are really interesting to look into as well. That's the fascinating thing about um, the couple of things, that's the different court cases you had in terms of the musical industry. I yeah, think. do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so I think there's, um, there's a couple. So the first one was um, when Apple Music was first launched, when they changed it from iTunes to Apple Music, they said that the first three months for every Apple user was free, and so no, none of the um, artists were receiving royalties. So she stood up and said, "I don't want this to happen. I don't want my music to be on during the trial." There was that one, but I think the and she was like standing up for for other artists in doing that, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like correct. she could probably afford that, but yeah. other artists couldn't. So yeah. she was speaking up for them. Absolutely, like that's yeah. egalitarian. Yeah, yeah, there was that one, and then there was also the one where she. Um, so um, Scooter Braun brought bought the publishing rights to her back catalogue, I believe, or uh, it was a company. What was the company called, Tim? I can't remember what it was actually called, but um, it was called. Hang on, I will find it in a second. Big Machine. That's where she was doing her original albums. That's where she, she actually had an original thirteen year deal with Big Machine, and then she only owned the songwriting credits to it, but she didn't own the publishing credits. So. Scooter Braun, who is responsible for uh, blowing up the careers of Asha and Justin Bieber, just to name a couple, he bought that. Uh, but then <coughs> what happened after that was that she has now started re-recording her own songs so that she can ha- own that back catalogue herself. Mm-hmm. But she also signed a new deal with Universal Music Group and a subset, a sub-company of that, where she wrote a... It was a, it was a, a clause in her contract, wasn't it, Tim, that she said... I can, uh, if their shares, if the universal shares in Spotify are sold, not just me benefits from it, all the artists benefit from what's coming out of that um, sale. Is that correct, Tim? Is that what? Yeah, that's my understanding, yeah. and uh, people might be able to correct us in the comments. Mm. Um, but yeah, and I think what it shows again is uh, this um, anti-establishment. So she's uh, able to say, you know, these these big companies who are in control of distribution and um, the way that money is handled, um, this sort of the, the musical industrial complex that it controls artists. And there's been commentary for decades about the way that um, the music industry um, is great for the companies and bad for the artists. And there's plenty of examples of that. Um, and so part of her standing up, um, the, this yeah, it's, it's an egalitarian thing, it's an anti-institutional um, thing and saying, no, no, that's not right. Um, these are my um, works, and and she did own the writing credits, as you said, um, copyright. Um, but not owning the masters meant that she wasn't able to use those however she wanted. And every time mm-hmm. they were used, she wasn't the one um, getting the, the most benefit from that. Uh, and so, yeah, so both this deal with Universal, in which um, shares of Spotify that the money gets distributed more evenly, so she's able to empower others in there and give lesser known artists. Um, uh, a bigger slice of the pie than they wouldn't otherwise get. Um, and also the way that where she wants to be in control of her own creative um, outputs uh, and not be dependent on the institution um, in order to distribute those things, but she gets to control those sorts of things as well. So that's um, an important part of that whole narrative that she's doing. And, and again, it's, it's an expression of this cultural moment that expresses that anti-institutional much more egalitarian in the way that she's reflecting culture. I think that's interesting, Tim, because uh, two of the categories that Hussey uses is wealth and anti-institutional. And the anti-institutional uh, barometer in Australia is quite high. Australians are in, in fairly anti-institutional. Mm-hmm. And again, there's a lot of theories about why that is. But um, sometimes the church is seen as one of those institutions that is not trusted. Uh, we talked on uh, about this last season when we talked about the growing distrust with young people with the institutions of the church, particularly after the um, uh, the the Royal Commission into sexual abuse cases within the church, uh, that um, was a, a major moment. Um, the 
there's also this idea that Australians generally don't trust government. For example, Hussey um, makes the point that in 2016, uh, Australians' trust in government had dropped eight points to 37% from a previous rating of 45%. So, yeah, 30, 37% of Australians trust the government. It's really quite a low number. And you see that across uh, other things too, like even NGOs, like uh, non-government organisations, um, are a bit higher, but still people don't even trust non-government organisations at 52%. Trust in the media has also dropped. There's 32% of people trust the media. Uh, and so there's figures like this that are showing us that when Taylor comes up to talk about her distrust in the music industry or with Apple, then people probably are nodding, going, yeah, that, that resonates with me. So it probably makes her even more appealing to modern people because she's tapping into that anti-institutional yeah. anti tr uh, trust issue. Absolutely. And when you partner that with her, the way that she presents herself on social media as being very relatable, engaged with her fans, really approachable, um, you've got that double... Um, connection there that I, mm. I as someone who doesn't trust institutions feel very close to this uh, yes celebrity but she doesn't trust institutions either and so there's a solidarity that is created there in that cultural moment mm. um, uh, all the while her being as you mentioned earlier quite successful like she could afford not to get royalties from iTunes um, and yet she stands up for those who are, are less and so there's a, a sense there where she's using um, what uh, power, influence, money that she has in order to try and empower others as well. I think that's interesting too because uh, at one level you could think the tall poppy syndrome is no one should be richer than anybody else and here's this woman who was quite rich standing up to power. But as a, as a woman I think she um, seems very brave which is uh, very accurate. She's been very brave in that. And also I think it's interesting how as a wealthy person people admire the fact that she's been able to achieve that wealth and that's why i said earlier that the egalitarian idea within australia is is sometimes described as a myth because there's this other uh cultural category in australia which is wealth and consumerism which is also highly regarded so when you get an interface between egalitarianism and wealth someone who is standing up for others and is wealthy is not seen as contradictory in australian society but it's seen as quite laudable so mm. That's really interesting. And maybe a counterpoint to that is um, just in the last few months, we've had uh, this kind of billionaire's race to space. Mm. <laughs> um, and one of the, the big critiques out of that is you've got uh, people like Jeff, Jeff Bezos, who runs Amazon, mm. um, who has been criticised in the last 12 months for underpaying um, staff yeah, in these factories that's true. Yeah. Um, and then yet pours billions of dollars so that he can get, get a space flight um, and be one of the first billionaires into space um, for no other reason that you know it's a mark against his name of how great he is and how wealthy he is that he's able to put this money forward and so they're the kind of stories where people put forward and say yeah we can't trust people with money we the, there's these institutions um, you know Amazon is just dominated particularly in the North American context less so in Australia but it's increasing here and so they're, they're the examples where we look to and go, yeah, see, power and wealth is corrupting. People are holding it for themselves and not passing it on. Mm. Um, and which is why I think um, people like Taylor Swift um, are a great counterpoint because still a lot of wealth. Um, I don't know what she's, she's worth, but I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, she's in the very top uh, earners, but mm. she's using that to try and, bring others with her and create cultural change which we'll talk about in a minute but so it's almost like if you are if you are wealthy and you're egalitarian that's acceptable but if yes. you're wealthy and you're not egalitarian that's not acceptable absolutely so both Bezos has just been criticized by Tom Hanks last week that t he invited Tom Hanks to go to space for 28 million dollars so if Tom was willing to pay Jeff 28 million bucks he could go to space and Tom laughed at that and so apparently that was a public embarrassment for right. for for the um, amazon crew but yeah i think it's interesting that tom hanks made that connection that if he joins that elite group he probably could afford 28 million to go to space but if he joined that that wouldn't be very egalitarian <laughs> so taylor is really onto something and i think what's interesting for us as christians is i think that the institutions of the church are considered to be very intolerant today and seem to be not using their power to help raise up other people um and i think i think the response to that which we'll probably get to again later is that we really need to to dive deeply into 
our ecclesiology or our theology of church to really talk about how the local church is actually the place where we can actually express those uh, really deep egalitarian themes that were present in the early church where um, people were equal. I mean, unfortunately, when you go into some car parks today in churches, you, you can see a great deal of wealth on display in car parks. So I think people see that. And, you know, we were talking before the podcast started, Joel, about someone you know who was saying that they were particularly upset at how the, the church doesn't pay tax in Australia. That doesn't seem very egalitarian. And you can see some examples where um, people can rightly say, well, you know, why doesn't the church pay tax there? But then sometimes people don't understand that, for example, in a church organisation like like the Anglican Church, we've got Anglicare, which is spending heaps and heaps of money on helping the poor. So there's this image problem that we talked about last season that's still present for us that maybe we're seen a bit more like Amazon than we are seen like Taylor Swift. Yeah, that's an interesting thing because we'll, we'll come back to how we actually engage in that, I think, which is where we like to talk about the shock absorber being really important. I was just thinking as you, I was just sitting here listening to you guys going back and forth, which was really quite um, educational for me. So thank you. But I was just thinking that, that so Hussey like pulls up those two poles of hierarchical and uh, egalitarianism mm. structures. I feel like perhaps Taylor is capturing the struggle that the culture is having between those two things. Mm. It's almost like we're being told to be really individualistic, but we also, that almost seems to clash a little bit with, um, uh, being egalitarian like you you need to earn for example learn lots of money but you also need to give it out but taylor seems to have actually been really done a really good job of actually pulling that off like mm. and that's why she's so popular um and i was just thinking that 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 song that she um one of her very popular songs is shake it off and i think that was another song that she wrote to um it's, she she likes to use the criticism that she experiences as a way as an inspiration for her music. Um, we talked about how she aligned herself with the hipster trend and Instagram really pushed her forward. But then Instagram is as again we said that it's a personal PR tool. Like um, you talked about Miroslav Volf last week that we have multiple identities and we can use Instagram or other social media as a way of projecting our the the image or the um, the identity that we want people to believe but I think it's also captures the thing of like people are still unhappy because there was a story of Chrissy Teigen who shared a really sad thing where she um, her and her husband John Legend who are very popular art well she's a model he's an extremely huge artist but we want our celebrities to have all this access and show us all the parts of their lives because we um we find that we want to indulge in a life like that. But then she shared something about being, um, they were in hospital and sadly um, they lost the baby and she was showed herself crying and all that kind of stuff on Instagram and then she experienced a whole lot of criticism for that as well because, oh, we don't want to see that far into your life as well. So I feel like that's capturing what we're actually trying, what we're actually doing in this cultural moment is like be individualistic but also look after everyone. And mm. I feel like, we, how do we And, and do I we think what's interesting that? about those two examples, particularly with Taylor Swift, when she pushes back at her critics, it's really easy for many people in the public to associate with her as a victim of hierarchical institutions who are uncaring and old ways of thinking that we're trying to change. So uh, her political um, songs, her... her her challenges to authority we we talked a bit about apple but also she has um, been quite a big voice in the me too movement that's that's emerged in the 2010s and also the lgbtq plus um, community and arguing for rights in that community as well so she's she, yes she is very successful and wealthy which is seen as an admirable trait in our culture but she's also using that wealth and power to speak for those mm -hmm who are considered to be uh, suppressed by hierarchical institutions. Uh, it's interesting that we made the comment last week that in 1971 we saw some of the themes emerging right back in the late 60s, early 70s that would end up setting uh, down a lot of the themes for our culture right up until today. And through the music of David Bowie, which we looked at last week, we were introducing, I suppose, ourselves to some of the big themes of the 2010s through someone who passed away in the 2010s who was part of that original movement. So um, 
as I looked into that a little bit, there's a thinker that's really helpful for us to understand the new themes in our culture through the lens of what's called new social movements. So there's a, a thinker called Alan Terrain who's looked at the 1960s. He actually looked at the Paris riots in 1964 and was asking the question what was going on there and he saw that the influence of the Paris riots in 1964 where unionists and young people got together to challenge the authorities of the day. He's, he, th- he looked at that and went, oh, something new's happening here. Young people and unionists are working together. And what he made as an analysis was that in the past, political power was defined by the owners of capital and the workers. So in Australia, you might have the Liberal Party and the Labor Party representing those two traditional power groupings within society. So there were the workers who were, were getting together in unions and the Labor Party to, to call on their rights and then the Liberal Party who broadly represented Protestants and people who were owners of capital and small business people. And you've got the Catholics and the workers on the other side. That was a kind of really traditional power grouping in Australia up until the 1960s. But what Terrain says happened in the 1960s is that ideas replaced economics as the definer of political mm. distinctions. And so new social movements that emerged in the late 60s, like the civil rights movement with um, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and that movement, the anti-war movement, the environment movement, the gay rights movement, uh, the feminist movement that emerged again in the 1960s and 70s, those movements began to reshape a more postmodern uh, Western context where we questioned the hierarchical institutions of the past that were battling it out with each other, even if they were unions or they were um, people representing the, the the owners of capital, they were still seen as institutions and the church was seen as one of those older institutions as well. Mm. So a lot of people rejected the church in the 1970s. And we talked on earlier podcasts about the emergence of something called the Jesus Movement in the early 1970s. 1971, there was a Time magazine article cover that was called The Jesus Revolution where it described the fact that there were 800 Jesus communes that had popped up in America in just one year for where you could drive from New York all the way to LA without paying anything for board because you could stay at a hippie Jesus commune. Well, that was a new social movement too that came up and and died off with the hippie movement. But what what we've got is the shadows of these movements that have gone been cast all the way through to our era today. So what Taylor Swift does in her music is she's picking up on probably more than just two, but there's two that come to my mind. And one of them is the 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 feminist movement with the new uh, expression of that in the 2010s with the Me Too movement. And she's been a big part of that, which you guys might want to add some more detail to mm. some of the story there. But also with her standing up for gay rights as well. Uh, and she's um, become part of that movement as well. So here we see the politicisation of ideas and people associating with certain ideas in an egalitarian way, standing up to the hierarchies and the institutions uh, is is actually seen as quite a um, progressive and and modern trend. You know, people talk about being on the right side or the wrong side of history. Well, she's probably seen as being, at the moment, she's seen as being on the right side of history, I suppose, from the point of view of this movement that started back in 1970s. It's mm. fascinating. The, uh, I've seen an excerpt for the... I didn't get to watch the whole documentary, but uh, Miss Americana is a documentary about her and she struggles with that and she does say, I want to be on the right side of history. Yeah. And it's a yeah. battle... And she has a battle with her advisors and her team about I want to speak up about these issues that are really important to me and they're saying no no don't do it just focus on the music but then she has to deal with I I think I should be on the right side of history so now I need to come out and talk about these issues Mm. that you're talking about yeah and I think I think feminism was a really big one of that I mean I don't know if you guys have got any uh more detail on some of the things she's done in that space. Uh, Taylor took a, a former DJ to court um, in a sexual assault trial, and in that trial, she was only seeking one dollar in damages, um, which were they ruled in her favour. And then she, in contrast to only receiving one dollar in damages, she also donated two hundred fifty thousand dollars to Kesha's trial, which is a similar. Um, similar kind of case um, against a producer. Um, and that was at the very beginning of the Me Too movement, Tim. Yeah, so this is a really significant cultural moment in the mm. 2010s. Um, the, the Me Too movement, um, it's it's got a sort of a, a 
long build up um, and so there was uh, some early use of the term Me Too um, in 2006 on MySpace. Uh, Tarana Burke is generally accredited with being the first one to use that phrase in this context about using uh, sexual assault. Um, but it really gained steam uh, just after these cases in um, October 2017 is really where it starts to build momentum and that's when um, allegations of sexual abuse from Harvey Weinstein come out. Mm. Um, and so we get a lot of very high-profile Hollywood celebrities particularly speaking about the sexual assault that's happening in their workplace um, and in the way that they um, might be groomed for particular roles or the types of things that might happen as part of their producing of movies and in that industry. Um, like a lot of the social justice movements of the 2010s and even earlier, a lot of it is built on the idea that there is something happening quietly in the background of society that's not being talked about and we're trying to bring that into the forefront. So, uh, that, I mean, that's the case with um, uh, LGBTQ+. Um, it's the feminist movements and the different ways of that that has happened. Um, the slavery, um, anti-slavery movements of past generations as well. This idea that there is something that's acceptable in society and, and sort of brushed under the carpet was actually disastrous and needs to be addressed. And so bringing it out to the light and making much of it. And so, uh, yeah, so from 2017 onwards, it becomes um, quite a, a big thing. Again, it becomes a hashtag, which again is a cultural idiom um, that, transfers on um, social media platforms, Twitter particularly, in people being able to tell their story. And so the encouragement is that you tell your own story of sexual um, assault or abuse. Um, you use the hashtag MeToo. And what this does is it raises the temperature, it realises that this is um, not an irregular occurrence, but this is something that um, happens tragically to so many different people um, of all different fields. And so where Taylor Swift comes into this, um, as well as a number of those other Hollywood celebrities, is they're able to use their platform to raise the voices of those who are voiceless. Um, so the people in our communities, the people who are just in the neighbourhoods and don't feel they have the voice to do anything about this, as they are able to share their stories um, in amongst the stories of those who are more well known in our society it really shows the prevalence of this really tragic part of our society that so much sexual assault is happening so what's really interesting about that too is hussey's analysis uh, would help us to see that that's part of this egalitarian impulse and it's putting uh, institutions uh, right across the board in these hierarchical power structures uh, under the microscope to to call out their misuse of power when it's used. And one of the institutions that is being um, examined by this uh, Me Too movement as well is is the church. The church is also being uh, examined for misuse of male power and, and there are uh, many voices raised in the media and even within the church, churches uh, uh, with this progressive impulse seeking to... Uh, call out institutions for misuse of male power as well. Because not long after the hashtag MeToo uh, was um, coming into cultural prominence, uh, you also got the hashtag Church2, uh, which helped share those stories, that there are these other institutions um, where abuse is happening and so people are sharing their stories of abuse within the Christian church as well. Yeah, and there's even been calls for the church to consider its power structures and its theology in this regard and we belong, in those of us on this podcast, we belong to the Sydney Anglican Church and our particular church uh, is being examined for our theology of complementarianism. That might be another podcast we could do another time but... Um, an egalitarian view of uh, men and women's roles in the church is being contrasted to a complementarian view, which is considered to be more hierarchical. So in our particular church context, uh, there's this, this movement is uh, a big debate that's taking place as well in the church. I was just going to say you, you've got the, the intersection of a number of themes which are really prominent in Taylor Swift's story. Uh, so there's, there's the feminism um, and her strong... Um, uh, pro-woman uh, positioning uh, it's where and that intersects with the the abuse that's happening which is the anti-authoritarian or anti-establishment um, and the egalitarian as well so in this particular me too movement you've got a number of that all coalescing and coming together and so she's able to speak so powerfully into that because of all of these strands that hussy notices um, are all coming together and it hasn't just been the me too movement that taylor has been a voice 
uh, in. It's also, she's a great advocate of the LGBTQ plus community, um, particularly her 2019 song, You Need to Calm Down, um, was a big voice against um, internet trolls, homophobia, um, the way in which LGBTQ plus people are treated in society and she's trying to promote them and again give them voice. Uh, and so the video particularly for that had a number of um, icons from that community that were there and she's um, pr- promoting them, giving them the platform, sharing the space that she has with them in order to um, identify as a voice, as an advocate for them in their community. Yeah, there's there's a, a lot of things going on in the culture, which I think Taylor really um, touches on a lot of the time. Stu, we talked about at the beginning of the podcast how the church responds to that. How do how does the church respond to that, and how can the shock absorber play a part in that? Yeah, well, the church has had various different approaches. Some Christians have taken what some people call a progressive Christian line on this, and aligned fairly strongly with some of these progressive issues. Uh, some uh, Christian churches have uh, just critiqued and and rejected that. I mean, in in some Christian circles, there's um, pointers to the Southern Baptists in America and their support. Some of some of the Southern Baptists in America and their support of the Trump campaign, for example, is what was seen by some people as a pushback against some of those progressive ideas. And so, as as Terrain said earlier, that ideas are becoming a political battleground and so uh, some of these political debates are coming into the church now and Christians are taking sides sometimes on one side or the other of that. Uh, What I find really helpful about Hussey's analysis is that rather than embracing or critiquing a particular uh, cultural uh, aspect of our society, uh, he argues that the biblical writers embrace and critique aspects of culture and so I think it's really important that we keep Jesus at the centre of our conversations and rather than uh, politicising our theology, we should actually be asking what does the Bible teach us about these issues and then how do we actually discuss that together in the church to have conversations around it. So we've talked often about bringing younger people and older people together in conversations in, in the church and listening to the voices of younger people but also providing uh, older people who have been reading the Bible and living Christian lives for many years, the opportunity to speak into the context as well. So uh, a lot of these progressive issues are issues that really concern young people. So giving young people an opportunity to talk about those things in the church where they can actually also listen to the perspectives of uh, a biblical context is really important. I think it's important that we come together with the Bible as our authority and we sit under the authority of God's word. And uh, just a couple of things we've we've done in our context in our church over the the last five years or so with both those issues is um uh the the me too movement has um in some aspects of the me too movement in in the newspapers and stuff has pressed in against uh sydney anglican churches that have a complementarian theology where uh men preach and men lead churches and so there's been a challenge to that uh theologically our church has considered that and we are what would be described as a complementarian church. We have uh, myself as the lead pastor at Sorrel Bible Church as, as, a, as a man and we have men preach at Sorrel Bible Church. Although we have men and women on our leadership team, we have women who are teaching as well as uh, men. One, actually, our training pastor, Karen, is a, is a really important um, part of our team. But in terms of... Uh, giving young people an opportunity to ask us, you know, why do we make these decisions? We decided we'd have a forum at one of our um, gatherings to give young people an opportunity to share their thoughts on these issues, talk about what they uh, are thinking, and then to hear uh, what is the biblical rationale for our position. So we talked about 1 Timothy 2, and in 1 Timothy 2, Paul's talking about... um, men preaching and so we had an opportunity to talk about is that just a cultural um, declaration for his time or is that a something that still applies to our day too so having that forum where we discussed that together was really good because we got an opportunity to discuss the bible together as young and old together but, uh, in a similar way uh, when the, um, the same-sex marriage debate uh, occurred in Australia and it was very divisive in our community. We held a forum in our church and we had uh, someone from Moore College come and give a biblical perspective and 
I gave a, a short introduction to the uh, history of the gay rights movement from the 70s right up until um, the same-sex marriage debate uh, and in Australia. And we had this really great conversation. There was about 70 people in the room. And after we presented the initial presentations, there was a member of the LGBTQ plus community who said, I just want to thank you for the grace that you've shown to, to my community. And um, while you've presented a position I don't agree with, I, I really respect that you've been really uh, gracious in the way you presented that. And I want to be really gracious as I push back against that. And I found that forum quite quite a moving experience as we were able to talk about it. Uh, we uh, described a biblical view of marriage that the Sydney Anglican Church holds to and we also talked about how there were different theologies that different churches have, but in our church we were going to to uh, hold to a biblical view of marriage. But then we also said if people disagree with that, they're still welcome to come to church and we, we can be church together. So that was a, a really terrific example, I think, of this idea of the shock absorber, bringing young people and older people together to have a conversation. Those conversations aren't always easy and aren't always gracious, but it's really important that we have them because I think we've lost the... Uh, experience of having a group conversation in our culture. We're used to putting a post on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, sharing our view and then critiquing each other's views online. We're not used to -to face-to-face conversations, particularly in a big group of people, that can be uh, really important. I mean, there are some examples of that, like Q&A on the ABC. I think that's a program that does that. But, yeah, just bringing people together to talk with each other and just to listen as well, uh, ask what, what what's your view and what's it? but I think it's really important in our day and age that we we remember that the Bible is our authority and that we keep trying to work out how do the Bible writers embrace or critique any particular aspect of the culture. What do you think of that, uh, Tim? Yeah, so I mean, one of the Bible passages I was thinking about as I uh, listened and, and had a bit of a look into Taylor Swift was uh, Philippians two. Um, in Philippians 2, um, we've got the, the hymn from verse 5 onwards where it talks about uh, having the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Uh, he made being found in the appearance of man, humbled himself, become obedient to death, even death on a cross. And the reason I thought of uh, Taylor Swift, well, I thought of this verse when I was thinking about Taylor Swift um, was this idea that uh, Jesus did have ultimate power. He is the eternal Son of God. He's you know, part of the triune Godhead. Uh, and yet in using that power, uh, he actually uses the power to serve others. And I think that is part of the impulse of what um, Taylor Swift, from what I can see as you know, an outside observer, that seems to be her impulse, that she recognises that she does have power and influence. Um, she's got uh, financial backing. Um, she's not lacking for any of those things. And so she's using those powers to serve others. So I think that would be one resonance that I would see um, in where I can see that the way that she's seeking to use power, that it's actually, well, yeah, I think she is. there's an aspect of common grace there that um, she's expressing. Um and maybe the uh, as we critique as well uh, that the, the hymn goes on that therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we uh, accept that Jesus Christ is Lord, then there are going to be parts of our secular culture that we will push back against um, because we are taking our uh, our our authority from the Bible. We're taking our leadership from Jesus Christ as Lord. And so there are going to be um, issues and questions um, on uh, sexuality, on on power, on abuse, on hierarchical structures, all of these kind of things. We're not going to be looking to the culture for our answers. Um, We're actually going to be looking at the Bible and seeking how does that actually speak into us as a church community. Um, and so that's part of that listening. It's part of that shock absorber that we're allowing the, the culture and those who are at the forefront of cultural change to express to us what is going on um, and hearing from them. And then we're also using the strength um, of mature Christians and those who are deeply um, rooted in the word of God and using those together. So I think that's the shock absorber in action. I think that, that um, hymn in Philippians 2 was 
what kind of came to mind is I can kind of see things that are really admirable about what Taylor Swift is doing really well, um, in particularly in her, her political and cultural advocacy kind of role. Um, but also we would say that there are things that we disagree with because Christ is our Lord. Um, and so we're taking our orders from him. I, th- I think that's really interesting too because I was thinking of Mark chapter 1 where Jesus says, I've come to bring the kingdom of heaven and repent and believe. And so his command to us is to repent of our sin and to, to believe in him. So interestingly there, there is a hierarchy there that he is a king. And so we do need to take his leadership. Yes. And Jesus himself says, I haven't come on my own account, but I come in the name of the father. So, And so there's a, even a hierarchy there when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross and he prays before he goes to the cross and he says, uh, Father, not my will, but yours. He's mm-hmm. come to do the will of the Father. So there's that hierarchy there. Um, I think it's interesting that as we as Christians look at scriptures, sometimes there'll be things that resonate with our culture and some things that don't. Mm. And it's really important that we don't pick and choose what we take from the Bible. As as we read the Bible, we've, we've got uh, a really uh, timeless word of God that speaks clearly into each generation, both... Um, embracing some aspects of each generation and critiquing each generation so but then again uh, another thing to think about is that is the church actually an institution or is it something else i mean there there we could argue that at the end of christendom um there is a good argument to really remember the place of the local church and how important the local church is as the gathering of god's people uh, we're reminded that when the church gathers together when two or three gather together he's there in the midst of us and so i think that's um a really important thing to consider too. So uh, I, I think that in the context of these conversations we have, we need to always be asking the question, what does the Bible have to say about this rather mm. than just what's my opinion or what's your opinion? I was thinking as well in the um, in Hussey's uh, dynamic between hierarchical and egalitarian. Again, we see both in the pages of the New Testament, the letters that are written, that there is an egalitarianism. There, There's no male or female, slave or free. Um, and so there is a... Leveling there of relationships that mm. we are all uh, the same. We're all just adopted by the same mm. uh, blood of Jesus. We're all equal to each other, and yet we have other parts of the same books, uh, which also say, you know, God appoints pastors and teachers um, and people in place. Mm. Uh, Paul's writings to Timothy and to Titus about setting up structures in the church so that there are is appropriate leadership. Um, and so again, we don't want to hold on to one of those to the expense of the other, but to hold them in tension and to say that both of these realities are going to be there. And um, when if we completely flatten out everything egalitarian, then you have no leadership. Um, but if you have really strong hierarchies and the, the elders in the church don't realise that they have extraordinary power or they abuse that power, mm. they're not recognising the egalitarian nature. So it's always this coming back and forth of those two ideas. It's interesting, isn't it? I also think the nature of Christian leadership is different as well. It's not about yes. power and control. It's about servant-heartedness. Like you mentioned Philippians, Philippians that we too, meant yeah. to, we meant to emulate the humility of Christ and we're meant to be a servant. And so our leaders should be servants, not... Um, dominators yeah peter talks about you know we're, we're the shepherds of flocks and yet we serve the under shepherd and yeah. so there's that well we serve as under shepherd is that what you mean uh well sorry sorry we are under our, under yeah. the shepherd of jesus yeah <laughs> and so there yeah we're res- responsible to him and we also serve as those who are leaders in the church yeah yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it's good i think it's um the way you guys are talking about it we, we talk about those two poles of hierarchical and egalitarianism and then um you talk about jesus and i think I mean, well, like Taylor Swift is kind of doing that in a cultural context, but if you talk about Jesus, like Jesus is straddling those two poles really well because he is a king, as you said, and he's uh, has a there is a hierarchical sh- structure amongst his kingdom, but also dying on the cross is like a pretty outrageous, amazing mm-hmm. act of egalitarianism. Well, like it's it. the greatest act of love ever. Yeah, like, yeah. I think it's interesting that uh, Jesus lays down his life for us mm. and you know in matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40 he says love god and love others and i think what he's saying there is i oh, will teach you how to love and uh again we keep coming back to it but romans 12 um, says in view of god's mercy in other words in view of christ's sacrifice for us offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to god and then in romans 12 he unpacks that by saying and be a body uh, serve together serve mm. under christ uh, in romans paul talks about um, being uh, being like that 
all the way through. But in Ephesians, he also says we're like being built together in a spiritual house with Christ as the cornerstone. Mm. And so Christ is is our um, the head of the church, but he's also uh, building us together and we're partnering with him as he builds his kingdom. So I think that's a really cool framework for us to continue to hold on to in the changing culture that we're yeah. a part of. And he was also the servant. So even he, he died on the cross, it wasn't really... He wasn't bringing himself down to our level. He's actually going below that again. We see that with the washing of the feet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that he takes this subservient role um, to his, his disciples and, and by analogy to us, um, which again comes up in that Philippians 2. So uh, even there, it's, it's a servanthood um, and, and through, the, through the service of others. And, um, and yeah, again, this, this hymn in Philippians 2 comes full circle where he's then exalted mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And last, one last thing I'd say on that too. It's not like we have to create a cool church in every generation we don't have to create a cultural representation of the culture around us so we're not looking at taylor swift and the culture around us to go oh that's what's happening in the culture we need to adjust to that uh we we are literally taking hussey's framework and saying well there'll be parts of that that we might embrace as we move forward but there'll be parts of it that we're going to be willing to critique and it'd be really interesting to hear from the listeners and the viewers um their take on some of the positions we've presented today and mm. and continue the conversation. Absolutely. Well, you can continue the conversation, guys, by jumping on the Discord link, which is um, will be in the show notes. You can also email me at joel at shockabsorber.com.au and we're also, um, you can check out our digital services, which are on the podcast, any podcast app you listen to or YouTube and also a Chip Lodge podcast where we talk about growing up as a Christian or experiencing uh, our life experiences as a Christian. So you can check those out. Um, I'd just like to say thank you very much for Tim and Stu for that very engaging and uh, thoughtful discussion. So I appreciate that. And we'll, as always, finish up with a... One way. One way. One way.